When I first went away to Adelaide, which was in 1989, um, my family was still on a party line phone, if you can believe that. Yeah. And so I'd, uh, so I'd ring on the payphone the telephone exchange in Ivanhoe and they would connect me to the party line. I mean, if you told people that now, they wouldn't believe you probably. Hello and welcome back to Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling stories of women living in rural and regional Australia. I'm Sky Manson, your host for this episode. Today, I'm joined by one of the Grazy Her celebrities, Jane Smith, also known as the Shady Baker, who lives on a family sheep station located about an hour east of Broken Hill with her husband, Terry, and her two children, Annabelle and George. Jane's writing and recipes have been a feature in all but one of the Grazy Her magazines, and people like you have grown to love her, her work, her food, and her gentle description of her life on the land. To me, Jane Smith is a true homebod. When she has to leave, she can never wait to get home. She loves that she knows everyone in her community, never feels isolated, and her favourite thing in the world is to cook for her family. All these things are unique and relatable for thousands of women and men too across rural Australia. And so I asked Jane to start this podcast a little bit differently with a small writing of what homesickness means to her. And just before we start, I have to say the internet connection for this chat is dodgy in parts. I think trying to find the perfect line from the east of Broken Hill to the isolated hills of Blakeney Creek where I live can sometimes be a very hard ask. Homesickness to me feels cold and grey. It's an uneasy feeling of sadness and an urgent need to return to that place that feels familiar, where I feel accepted and understood. I can still recall the sound of the flagpole jangling in the the wind during the nights at my boarding school in Adelaide all those years ago. The memory of that sound instantly takes me back to that big school where I first experienced homesickness as an 11 year old. Nowadays, the feeling of homesickness doesn't occur so often and today it is more about being with my husband and our children than in a physical place. Although there is no place like home where the animals are always happy to see me, where the coffee machine is always warm and where a simple homemade meal is always moments away from being prepared. Oh, I love that. Jane, I just think homesickness is a really personal thing, but it's almost amongst country people something that is universal, don't you think? Yes, it is. I think it's, um, I suppose it's all about our connection to the land and um, yes, it is a personal thing, but yep, I agree. You have such a strong connection to to home, um, to where you live now and also where where you grew up. Where do you think that came from? Perhaps it came from um, a strong tie to my family property where I grew up originally and my connection to family and that property and that community and that feeling of 
familiarity and that feeling of belonging, I suppose. Um, and I, not everybody likes that feeling. I, some people prefer perhaps to be more anonymous in the community, but I, uh, I like the fact that um, if I feel part of a place and, and recognised and accepted, I suppose. So tell me more about where you did grow up. Um, I grew up about 300 kilometres east of where I am now, uh, near Ivanhoe, also in New South Wales, a family-owned sheep station also that my father's family own and um, my dad's still there with my brother. So, yeah, that's where I grew up. What are your memories of growing up there? What did days look uh, like? Oh, we had an amazing um, childhood there. We had a lot of freedom, horses, motorbikes, all the typical things that bush kids have, I suppose. Where the homestead is located is in a range of hills with a lot of rocks and we had like rocky outcrops. So we had really unlimited freedom just to explore and we were out in those hills and rocks all the time when we weren't doing school. So, but yeah, we had a lot of freedom and my grandparents, my father's parents also lived on the same property. So we spent a lot of time with them in their home as well. So yeah, that was, it was, it was a great childhood. Tell me more about what happened in those rocks. That sounds awesome. Did you have cubbies and <laughs> games? And... Yes, we did. We had all that. We had cubbies. We used to build things and we'd take picnics up into the rocks. And I think we used to take the, our dogs up there and um, we just, yeah, we, we just did everything really up there. And we, if we ever we had our friends or cousins visiting, We'd all just disappear into the hills, literally, uh, and they were right behind our house, like literally at our back door. So it was uh, it was quite amazing, really, when I think back now. Of course, at the time, you take those things for granted, but I think back now, and yeah, it was great. Yeah, I can really relate to that because we didn't, where I grew up, didn't. Well, there's quite a few um, rocks around, but quite near the house, there's this big old flat rock that sort of had a road running through the middle of it, and um, we used to call it Bush Tucker Rock after Les Hiddens and go down there and find our own Bush Tucker, which of course was just stones and little seeds from trees and things like that. But it's just another world where we could just, I don't know, be creative and let our mind and imagination fly. Yes, I think that's it. And um, We would, you know, in the winter we'd light fires and um, just all those things that um, it was a lot of freedom, I suppose. And like you said, just that, using our imaginations and amazing. And so well, did you do your initial schooling via School of the Air? Yes, I did. We did. My brother and I both did uh, our two year six through School of the Air through Broken Hill. Mm-hmm. And our mum taught us for a couple of years and then we had um, a couple of governesses towards the towards the end, yeah, before we went away to boarding school in Adelaide. And 11 sounds like such a young age to go away to boarding school. Did that come suddenly or did you always know that that was your fate? No, we always knew. Um, and I think that's just part of growing up, I suppose, where we grew up because we were quite isolated, 300 k's to the nearest main centre. Where So we always knew we were going to boarding school. It was something that had, yeah, it was just talked about, you know, from the time I can remember really. So it was, it wasn't a surprise. No, we were always destined to head that way. Mm. I just wonder how you felt about it as the time drew closer and closer. 
was there any excitement or was it all dread? Uh, no, I think I was excited. I think I was definitely probably ready for a change and and new challenges, I suppose, and, and new people, uh, whether I knew it or not at the time. I think the t- time comes when you're ready for that change of into high school. It was daunting going from the bush into such a big school and into Adelaide, which we didn't really, we weren't really, we weren't familiar with Adelaide at all. We'd been there once or twice for holidays. I don't think I'd, e- I hadn't even been to the school before before I started. So it was all, all quite big and daunting. But anyway, that was <laughs> that was the way it was. But I think this is something that many people can relate to as well, because to do something like that at at such a young age, you do have to really dig deep into being brave and, you know, you're feeling awful, but you just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. There's no tragedy about it, but it's certainly unknown territory and that feeling of bravery does come to the fore. It really does. And I think perhaps at the time you don't really think about that as an 11-year-old, I suppose. You just, as you said, getting one foot in front of the other. But when I think back now as an adult, I think it was young and it was it's quite a big, I would be daunted by it to do that now, to go through a similar experience, let alone, you know, at that age. So, mm. yeah, it's quite big. And so what was your experience of school like? Did you love it? So I did love. Uh, I had we had some amazing opportunities, which again was something that I probably didn't really uh, fully appreciate at the time. There was good times and uh, and not so good times. My family circumstances changed sort of part way through, which made life a little bit tricky. But no, look, it was overall it, it was a great, it was an amazing experience. But I was uh, I was pleased to to get out of there in the end. <laughs> <laughs> how did, did did you miss home yeah yes I did miss home I think I yes I definitely missed home missed the uh I missed the bush um missed the freedom I think that we'd had at home yeah missed my family and the animals and just yeah all those familiar things I think uh yeah and I think all anyone who's been to boarding school will, will relate to those things that you miss from home and so how did you, being so far away, keep connected with home at, during that time? Because this was a little while ago too, before mobile phones and yeah. <laughs> Instagram. It was. Yes, definitely. This will, this will age me a little bit, some, uh, uh, Sky, sorry. Um, but, yes, we had a pay phone in the boarding house, which we uh, would have to take turns to use, and... Our parents could ring in on, there was a line to ring in on, so, but it was in a very open area, so there was no, there was no privacy for any phone calls. Um, and in fact, when I first went away to Adelaide, which was in 1989, um, my family was still on a party line phone system on our property, if you can believe that. Yeah. And so I'd, uh, so I'd ring on the pay phone the telephone exchange in Ivanhoe, and they would connect me to the party line that was on my parents' property. So, I mean, if you told people that now, they wouldn't believe you probably. But And now my daughter's away at boarding school and I can text her any time of the day or night. So things have changed a bit in that regard. So good. And what about letters? <laughs> yes, we, I wrote a lot of letters then, actually. Gosh, it's been a long time since I've written a proper letter. But no, we all wrote letters a lot and, 
and get and received mail in too, which was great. That was always a highlight of the um, the received mail. Wasn't it? It was such a big part of, of boarding school life, the, the receipt of mail. And yeah. that's why we love to write letters because you would receive one back and that would be something, a nice surprise to your day. Oh, absolutely. I, I was a regular letter writer then to, to mum and dad, but also, also to friends and cousins and my grandparents. And yeah, it was, it was, it was great. Yeah, to anyone really who would write back. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's right. I'm interested though to know how how did you how did you connect with home while you were at boarding school? Was it through the telephone calls? Was it through the letters? Or did you just have to wait until holidays? Um well, yes, the phone and the letters and and yeah, really that was it. Um apart from that, it really was the holidays. Occasionally we would see mum or dad during the term, but not not generally. It was usually the holidays. So, no, that was it really. Mm. And tell me about the excitement to go home for the holidays and how long that would be brewing up inside you. Just so exciting. I would literally count down the days and hours. I remember um, that was just, yeah, something that you just got so, um, I don't know, the just that anticipation of, of going home was, it's hard to describe really, but I've always, um, always at the forefront of your mind or of my mind. Mm. What was the first thing you would do when you got home? Probably just, I think probably just checking out all the, probably just finding our way around the house again and checking everything out and seeing the animals and, you know, going back to your bedroom and seeing what was there and, um, and, and, prob- and food was always a big thing coming home from boarding school, which I'm sure everyone will relate to, having a nice meal and having access to home-cooked food. I think that was always probably pretty high on the priority list. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You did end up being closer to home again. Tell me how that happened. Well, after I left school, I did a little bit of study and had various jobs none of which I really loved too much, but nevertheless. Um, and in the meantime, I had uh, met my now husband, Terry, and and it was in the year 2000 that we got married and also his family had expanded their farming business and bought another property. And so it was the same year that we got married as we um, moved to the property we're on now. And how did did you and Terry know each other when you were growing up? Yes, we did. We actually were on Broken Hill School of the Air together in primary school. But we didn't really know each other well. Our families knew each other, but we didn't know each other well. And then I went away to boarding school um, and Terry didn't. So it was a long time between primary school and when we reconnected after high school, Um, just reconnected at social things because we were starting to move in the same circles, I suppose, and the rest is history. So was it always, were you always like, was he always a bit in your mind or did that happen just sort of by chance? Um, It was by chance in some ways. Terry actually did a little bit of work after he left school for my my dad's my dad, 
um, farm work. And so, yes, it was, um, yeah, so we did know each other, but it took a while for us to, um, yeah, to, to sort of, um, yeah, become close again or become close, I suppose. Now a word from today's sponsor. SG Offroad Understand It All. They've been stuck on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere with little kids in tow. They've rushed around to get vehicles into servicing, forgotten booked dates and understand the importance of having someone to help take care of the problem. SG Offroad are the little guys gone big. Founded in 2002, they put the humanity back into your vehicle's needs, mixing impeccable automotive care with an incredible empathy for who's behind the wheel and daily life. An ARB stockist with two stores in South Gippsland and a huge range of courtesy vehicles, they're available for their customers no matter what. Whether in their workshops, driveway, stuck in the paddock, or even with electrical issues on the Tanami track, whether it's leaning against the bull bar for a yarn or rocking a brightly coloured conversation starting shirt for mental health, there's rarely anything they say no to when it comes to vehicles and those that drive them. Beyond the wheel bearings and the four-wheel drive setups, SG Offroad are more than just mechanics and accessories. They become a slice of people's lives and truly love what they do. SG Offroad. Just get life. So tell me a little bit about how the connection with Grazie Her first started. Uh, so that was in 2016 and it was um, around the same time that Claire Dunn was um, about, was putting out the second issue of the year uh, 2016 or around the same time as the second issue of Gracia magazine was coming out. And Claire Dunn content also followed my um, blog, which she probably found through Instagram as well. And she contacted me and asked me if I would like to contribute a story about our life and some photos and about our property and also uh, a recipe, which I did. And subsequently, I, I'm still contributing recipes and Claire was generous enough to give me the opportunity to um, continue to contribute recipes to each issue ever since then. I think you're part of Grazy Her is such a, it's a much loved section. Um, people love what you do and hearing about your life. Uh, initially, were you chuffed to be asked and did you ever imagine something like that would come out of your blog? Um, yes, I was thrilled to start at the start, and I mean, I still am. I think the novelty of seeing your own photos and words and recipes, in my case, uh, come to be being to be printed, is amazing, and I still get an amazing thrill out of seeing out of seeing that. Really, uh, I was, and I no, I didn't ever think I would have an opportunity like that, Sky. Um, if that job or that job, for want of a better word, if that opportunity had been advertised, I would never, I wouldn't have ever thought I would be 
qualified to do something like that. So it's it's amazing that I've had that opportunity and really purely through through Instagram to start with. So I'm always thankful for that. Why did you start your blog? Actually, I started contributing recipes to a friend's website that was back in around 2010. The website um, came and went, but in the meantime, I thought, oh, perhaps I could try this myself and set something up of my own. So I set up quite a basic blog on the blogger old blogger platform and start, just started sharing photos, similar photos to what I share now, I suppose, of just our farm and food and my vegetable garden. And at that time, the kids were obviously quite a bit younger. So a few photos of them and just found this amazing community through the blogging community. People who I still really consider friends, um, I still connect with through my blog and um, it was quite amazing and I, and I realised blogging's changed a lot since then. But back in those days, um, before Instagram was so much of a thing, um, it was really, it was something creative that I could do from home and a way of just connecting with other people. Tell me about your photography. <laughs> Are you self-taught in that area? <laughs> yes, completely. I am completely self-taught. I've done a few uh, informal workshops and I've just recently done an online, uh, a short online course as well. But apart from that, I'm completely self-taught. I've been very lucky. Terry over the years has been very supportive and bought me um, two beautiful cameras. So that's helped. How did cooking become a big part in your life? And of course, you develop your own recipes, which is such a feat. Uh, I think I probably have always appreciated nice food, oh, good food and nice and good meals. Um, as a family, when I was growing up, we always sat down and had meals together and always had home-cooked meals. What kind of meals? Um, oh, definitely <laughs> meat and three veg, <laughs> roast lamb, lots of lamb and beef as well because we had we at home killed our own um sheep and cattle and as we do on our property now but so no it was yeah meat and three veg um but it was always wholesome you know home cooked home cooked meals so I think I just it, and and then being married and on our property and then having children I think it was just a natural progression that I would always cook and and then baking became a real interest I think because that was again just something creative um, everyone appreciates baking. It's always nice to have something homemade. I think I especially loved providing homemade things once I had children. So that's, um, yeah, where that's come from, I think. And bread. When did bread come into your life? Um, bread came into my life a similar time to us when I started my blog, I think, around 2009 and 2010. And back in those days, there was no sourdough bread available in Broken Hill. Um, now we have a beautiful sourdough bakery in Broken Hill, but at the time there was nothing like that. And I was just curious to try it. I'd seen sourdough at markets and things we'd been to. So, uh, so yeah, I was, it was just curiosity really. And I think I had dreams that I, one day I might be able to sell it and um, have a small business, which, which I did on a very small scale years ago, but um, I still bake just for ourselves. But, um, yeah, bread, sourdough baking is quite addictive and, and challenging too. And it's something that I've actually really enjoyed over the years and something that I've um, managed to actually stick with. Um, you know, lots of cooking fads come and go, but sourdough is something that's really um, 
I really always go back to. I find it quite grounding. Tell me about that, the grounding and the addictive element of it. Uh, I think, well, I'm probably always looking for the perfect life, which I'm not sure if that ever exists, but sourdough is also very forgiving. So even um, even loaves that are less than perfect are almost always edible. But it's not really difficult, but as anyone who's listening know, involved, and when all those tiny steps come together and you get really beautiful loaves. It's really rewarding. And I also cook my sourdough in our wood oven. So combining the temperature of the wood oven to get that just right and then to get the loaves just right, when those two things come together, it's, yeah, it's really, it's really rewarding. And my family love it. My kids love sourdough. So that always, that's always, um, encouraging as well when I get really great feedback from them. Yeah, who needs a cafe when you can bake your own sourdough and have the coffee machine running on the farm? I think that's it. I think that's it. Because we um we are a bit out of town, um, it's really nice to have those little luxuries, I suppose, such as the coffee machine and the sourdough. And it's just, yeah, it is nice. I really get a lot out of those little uh, rituals, I suppose. Mm, I love that. So tell me about how organised you need to be to be able to be such a beautiful cook living so far from town. Tell me about your shopping day or your town days and how prepared you need to be for that. um, Well, look, I'm fairly fortunate. We're only an hour out of town, which is not, which is fairly close for a lot of people will be listening will be a lot of lot further out than that so i get to town mostly once a week sometimes once a fortnight but i still do need to be organized with it so i always have a list on the go always have a shopping list on my kitchen bench which i add to all week and then i always uh, sit down and make sure it's all written out neatly and in order before I go to town and I do I don't really plan our meals as such about what I'll be cooking in the next week or two so it does require a bit of planning but as anyone who lives rurally will know uh, um, you know I have a well-stocked pantry and we have a cool room which is really great so we can store quite a lot of food um, so it's just a routine really I suppose with food so for people that are listening that might not know about the purpose of a cool room. What kind of things do you stock up in there? The main purpose of us having a cool room is because we kill our own, uh, or my husband does, slaughter our own sheep and occasionally cattle, but more often sheep. Um, He'll kill two or three sheep at once when he does it usually because it just makes sense to do it all in one big lot. So once he's done that, he can hang the sheep in our cool room for a few days before he needs to actually cut them up and we put then we put them away in our freezers but so the main purpose of the core room really is for is for meat um, uh, but also we store in there all our vegetables all our drinks most of our tin food so anything perishable uh, really and it's just well it's just like having a oversized fridge I suppose but it's um, it's really handy when you need to keep a bit of extra food on hand it's like having your own mini mart. You've got your own cafe and your own mini mart. 
It is. It is. And our cool room's actually away from the house, so we have to. Um, it's a little bit of a walk to get to it. So you almost write a little list and then go and get what you need. Take the trolley over. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. And I love it that you develop your own recipes. What's your approach to that? Um, they're usually recipes that, or often recipes that I've been given by family members or other or friends or um, just recipes that I've read or old recipes and and then what I usually re readjust them to suit my own purposes and to um, and so they're easier for me to follow in in the way that I like to cook or I'll add a seasonal ingredients to them if it's a cake or something like that, or I'll adjust it to suit something that I've got growing in the vegetable garden at the time. So I usually start with an idea or, or a base recipe, I suppose, and then um, and then yeah, change it to to suit my style. Do you think that there is? like a, a, a growing love for recipes that come from the land or maybe it's always been there. I mean, what's inspired you over the years? Uh, it's, I think people come back to just, I find anyway, people just come back to basic recipes as much as people love to try new things and, and different things, and, and I do as well, but I find particularly with baking, people love just old-fashioned, you know, chocolate slice recipes or, um, for example, or, um, yeah, just or even sausage rolls. I know that whenever I, I occasionally will have put photos of sausage rolls on Instagram and they're not gourmet at all, they'll just be quite basic, what I would consider quite basic sausage rolls. And it's amazing. They're the things that I find people really, um, really love. I don't know if it's a just a nostalgia thing or that that's the food that's just most comforting quite a, it is it's quite amazing the uh yeah the interest that that sometimes just the most simple things can bring in people um yeah but it is it's amazing I, I i really love it i've connected with some amazing people over the years through my blog and through instagram and still continue to do you feel isolated ever out there no, I no, not really. No, I don't. Um, I don't. We um, Instagram is is a great way of keeping connected. Although I'm, I, of course, connect with people in real life as well. But um, I find Instagram's a way a great way to feel connected with the wider world. And then, of course, we have our closer community in Brogan Hill, and I have friends in there who I see who I try to see as often as I can as well. But no, I don't. I don't feel isolated. I think. To I've lived in this sort of an environment um, my whole life, so I, no, I don't feel no, I know I don't ever feel lonely out here. Yeah, the more isolated, the better, perhaps for you. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, ah, uh, yeah, that's right. I'm not a complete um, hermit, but I don't mind the isolation. <laughs> oh, that sounds, in some respects, just like heaven to me too. <laughs> I think, particularly at the moment, we're we're very lucky to have plenty of space around us. Yes. And my final question to you, Jane, is what do you enjoy the most about being able to work with Grazy Her? Uh, 
Oh, I love everything about working for Grazier, really. I love the fact that I can do it from home and that I can, and that it's very flexible and I can work around farm life and family life and that I can incorporate just really what we do every day into a lot of what I do for Grazier. And yeah, I love the people that I connect with um, through the magazine, but as well as, well as Victoria, the editor and the other other people that, actually, that are at Grazier. Um, they're people that I wouldn't have ever otherwise met. So yeah, it's, it's an amazing, it's great. Well, I just have a feeling that our listeners are going to be hearing a little bit more from you, Jane. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks very much, Sky. I appreciate the opportunity. If you didn't already love Jane Smith, I'm pretty sure you'll feel even more connected to her now about learning about her home life and her descriptions of that pull that she has for life on the land. I have met Jane before, but I immensely enjoyed talking with her this time and my respect for her love of her life just continues to grow and grow. Thank you, Jane. The spring edition of Grazy Her is still on sale. You can find it at grazyher.com.au or any good news agency. There's some gorgeous cooking with rhubarb from Jane in this edition. Also, you can find her at The Shady Baker on Instagram. While you're there on Instagram, why not show us where you're listening to this podcast while walking, on the motorbike, horseback, or even in the garden? Tag Grazy Her on Instagram. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll be back next Monday with another Life on the Land story. Ha <laughs> ha